two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a new podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Flipside podcast. I'm Lydia Rainforth, and I lead our large-cap energy research coverage in Europe. And today, I am joined by Hirel Patel, who is Head of Sustainable and Thematic Investing here at Barclays. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Hirel. So today, we want to debate our views around the role that oil demand plays in a world where there are strong societal, governmental, and investor calls and actions to accelerate the energy transition and move rapidly towards a low-carbon world. If you remember in 2015, world leaders at COP21 in Paris identified the need to limit temperature increases to 2 degrees Celsius by the end of the century, with the UN subsequently warning that a cap of 1.5 degrees Celsius is required to avert disaster. With the energy industry products generating 70% of global greenhouse gas emissions, it is clear that the energy the world consumes needs to be provided in a lower carbon way. Zoning in on the implications of oil demand, we've worked out that a 30% decrease in oil usage may be required by 2050 to hit the targets set in Paris. But can it be done? Well, it's debatable. And that's why we're here. Lydia, I know that having done a deep dive into the uses of oil and the capacity to flex away from carbon, you're sceptical that the world can adapt quickly enough to avoid the worst consequences of climate change by focusing on oil demand alone. I actually came away with the opposite view, that there are tangible steps that, if taken right now, can have a meaningful impact for the direction of all demand. But before we step into why we see things differently, Lydia, I think it's worth you setting out where we are today in terms of all demand. Yeah, and that's absolutely worth doing, in large part because the scale of the numbers serves to emphasise precisely why change is so difficult to achieve. Oil demand currently stands at an all-time high of close to 100 million barrels a day. That's 36.5 billion barrels consumed every single year. That goes into everything from passenger cars, trucks, aviation, through to petrochemicals and plastics. In some formats, oil will form a part of all our lives, whether we like it or not. But surely the whole point of the energy transition is that it isn't just business as usual, as we need meaningful reduction in oil use to get us onto the trajectory consistent with the Paris Agreement. Yes, but consumption of oil has increased close to 30% in the past 20 years, with the only times that demand has fallen linked to a global recession. A large part of the reason we consume so much oil is that it is readily available, it's relatively cheap, and particularly when compared to the alternatives, and a growing world population needs more and more access to energy. This means that the short-term costs associated with any meaningful transition are large. Our economists project that taking real steps to reduce oil demand will lead to a lower economic growth, at least partially due to those real costs, and with richer economies expected to support those countries with less advanced economies who may be most exposed to the worst impacts of climate change. Now that you mention economic growth, what impact does the current economic outlook imply for our discussion here? Well, given the state of economic growth right now, with the ECB warning of things getting worse and worse as an example, combined with more nationalistic political policies from some of the major economies, I'm far from convinced that this is a trade-off that those in government wish to make right now. The US administration pulling out of the COP21 pledges suggests a certain degree of hostility to the concept of accepting higher costs now. Europe is leading the charge, but given lower economic growth to start with, it has less capacity to absorb those short-term costs. 
in essence, the short-term economic benefits of continued oil use, I think, will outweigh the need for the necessary policies to shift us onto the lower carbon pathway. Oh, come on, Lydia. I think you're being way too pessimistic, in part because this change is likely to be led by the consumer and even the energy companies themselves as they respond to those changes in consumer preferences. The increased social activism and awareness is going to drive some big changes here. Currently, less than one in five people in the UK say they would invest in energy company shares as an example. That is likely to lead to the major energy companies moving towards lower carbon investments to reflect that. Given the changes that we're seeing from the take-up in electric cars, increase in recycling and greater awareness of carbon footprints, I'm much more hopeful that the long-term gains rather than the short-term costs will eventually dominate the discussion. In fact, we're already seeing it. The global energy sector is already changing rapidly. It is embracing new technology, data-driven efficiency solutions and is increasingly reliant on renewable energy. Alternatives to oil do exist in many sectors and as technology advances further, the impact these alternatives have are only going to increase rapidly. But I have to go back to the concept that we use 100 million barrels a day of oil. Those alternatives you talk about are just not of the scale where they can make a significant difference on the timescale we need, which is essentially for oil demand to peak around 2025 before falling 30% in the next 25 years. But you have to admit that there are some areas where meaningful progress is being made. Let's take passenger cars as an example. There are close to 1 billion cars on the road today, and although that number could double by 2050, we are seeing a rapid uptake in electric and hybrid vehicles. We forecast battery electric vehicle adoption to be 20% in 2025 in Europe, rising to 40% in 2040 and 80% in 2050. And globally, we expect at least half of the car fleet in the world to be electric. Even in the US, where we are less optimistic on the take-up, the efficiency of non-electric cars is set to improve pretty quickly, and cumulatively, fuel efficiency improvements, effectively more miles per gallon, are likely to have a bigger impact than the deployment of electric vehicles, in my view. And this emphasises my point. It's not that there is a single silver bullet to a lower carbon world, it's a combination of a lot of things. And this makes meaningful change seem much more achievable. Surely you agree with that, Lydia? I'll concede that lots of little changes add up. But there are many, many areas of oil demand which are much harder to decarbonise than others. You talk of advancement in electric vehicles for private cars, but when we look at trucking as an example, it's really hard to make that scale of change, particularly near term. And I think it's worth recapping on those numbers. It may surprise some of our listeners that trucking and road freight transportation is now the largest oil-consuming sector, comprising close to 25% of overall oil demand. Virtually the entire trucking fleet, 97%, is powered by gasoline and diesel, with compressed natural gas, liquid petroleum gas and hybrids making up the rest. There are very, very few electric-powered trucks on the road today. Despite efficiency improvements and logistical and technology improvements which are inevitable, the global freight fleet is still set to grow materially, and heavy freight, effectively the long-distance trucks, are set to grow the fastest, and these trucks run almost exclusively on diesel. Okay, so short-term in-trucking will be difficult, but I see it differently and we have to find offset gains elsewhere and expect long-term gains to bear out here. 
In my view, regulators are looking to rein in carbon emissions, and that should lead to increased electric vehicle and hybrid take-up. And I think we'll eventually also see more hydrogen trucks. I think we have to be realistic, though, that that's unlikely to have any meaningful impact much before the 2030s. And I think we also have to acknowledge that growing demand is a reflection of the world getting bigger and richer. And with that comes increased demand for access to the benefits that energy brings. Another example is aviation, where demand could rise 50% in the next 30 years. According to one major airline CEO, 80% of people in the world haven't flown on an airplane yet, highlighting just how much potential demand exists out there. And when do they expect that potential demand to be fulfilled? We have seen an expansion of sustainable jet fuel, which will play a role, with food waste now being used to power airplanes as an example. Surely that innovation stands a chance of establishing before that 80% demand is realised. It's absolutely an important initiative, but to get sustainable jet fuel to be even close to 10% of total jet fuel demand requires major infrastructure investment, which we simply haven't seen yet. Lydia, sounds like there's almost nothing that you think can get us onto a low-carbon pathway. That is simply too late. What about if we saw a sharp uptick in oil prices, which would materially reduce the economic cost of switching to more sustainable alternatives and therefore move us quickly to a low-carbon pathway? Well, given uncertainty over time, oil demand has the potential to cause meaningful price volatility itself. If growth of alternative fuel sources results in a price fall, it could actually hamper a transition across other sectors who would see a short-term benefit of cheaper fuel without investment in the infrastructure to adapt to new types of fuel. Yes, but that could allow finance reallocation to invest for the transition that is inevitable. The oil industry needs constant investment, though, to ensure that it replaces what it produces. Without that investment, oil production will naturally decline. If the companies and financial markets are uncertain about the level of future demand, the sector may not get the financing it needs. And if demand does evolve along the pathway that currently looks most likely, we could actually see a price spike. However, I don't think we'll go that way. I think we're more likely to see continued investment in order to stem that natural decline. Okay, let's address consumer preferences, as I believe that this will play a big role and with favourable regulation has the potential to drive investment away from fossil fuels. Given that around 85% of emissions come from the end use of hydrocarbon products, I'd argue that it's incredibly important that the consumer makes changes to the way they use products and that regulation changes will help nudge us to make those changes. But the problem is we're not seeing those changes at scale. Let's spend a bit of time on petrochemicals as an example. Products derived from these are a key part of everyday life. Plastics, fertilisers, glues, pharmaceuticals, washing powder, textiles, they all originate from petrochemicals, which are mostly a byproduct of oil and gas. Demand for petrochemicals has increased by more than 50% over the past 10 years, and we expect the sector to remain a large user of oil in the next few decades, potentially overtaking cars in the 2020s or 2030s. Currently using about 10.6 million barrels per day, we expect the industry to require between 14.9 and 23.4 million barrels a day by 2050. That is a pretty big step up. And I can't see a ban on single-use plastic being likely, Hirol. Can you? This is a really important issue for us to think about, as it shows how much difference a combination of consumer demand and regulation can make. The extent of pollution in the oceans, particularly from water bottles, is becoming increasingly clear, 
with the EU highlighting that plastic makes up 80 to 85% of the total number of marine litter items measured through beach counts. This may not have led to a ban on single-use plastic, but several countries and cities are taking measures to curtail single-use plastic products. Single-use plastics currently make up between 3 to 3.5 million barrels per day of all demand on our estimates, and we expect this to grow to 5.5 to 6 million barrels per day over 2040-2050. As such, a complete ban on single-use plastics would lead to a demand reduction of about 5% relative to our base case forecasts. The best case scenario in our analysis assumes 75% recycling, but not a complete global ban on single-use plastics. And even without the global ban, that has us getting close to targets, so it is possible. So applying this to overall demand, your point here is that we have to look at all the drivers and components of demand individually to see how the next 30 years are going to evolve, and in particular that the choices we make today both as consumers and on a regulatory side, are critically important to determining which trajectory we follow. I love your optimism. I'm just not sure how likely it is. I do maintain that we can move to a scenario of sustained improvement if changes are made right across the energy system. We need really aggressive implementation of low-carbon policies, rapid electrification and a major focus on energy efficiency. We can take meaningful action now to ensure that we do move to a low-carbon pathway. Even in this scenario, though, oil is still going to be a key part of the energy mix. It might peak in 2025, it might end up 30% lower in 2050 than it is currently, but that's still a lot of oil we need to think about how the industry produces and make sure that that is produced responsibly. I don't disagree with that, and I'm glad that we could find at least one area of agreement between us. And none too soon, as I believe we need to bring this episode of The Flip Side to a close. Thank you, Lydia, and thank you to our audience for listening. Clients can read the full Oil in 3D and our plastic reports on Barclays Live. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Flip Side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com IB.